and they're trying to teach you the Word of God, and they've never been a pastor before. What is it? Baloney. And uh, that stuff needs to be taught by a pastor. Now, uh, the book of 1 Timothy, uh, simply enough, it has 113 verses. 113 verses. And it has uh, 2,269 words. 2,269 words. And uh, this will be good Bible trivia material if you ever write stuff for teens, uh, even uh, you know, church members. And you put the, the date of the writing of uh, 1 Timothy between 62 and 65 A.D., give or take a little bit there. And so that's just kind of uh, where we'll start. And let's pin Timothy down here. He's a well-known man in the Bible, all right? Take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 16 for a second. Timothy's a well-known man. He's a well-known young man in the Bible. Amen. Aren't you glad there's some young men in the Bible? Uh, preachers, if they're not careful, they'll, they'll get a church or they'll take over a church or however they'll do the thing. And uh, uh, see, all the older people, if I could say it like that, I'll get, I'll get in trouble no matter what I say, but uh, the older people, the ones generally that have got the bills paid and have got the houses paid for, right, and got the cars paid for, and the older people use the ones who got the money, and preachers make the mistake, and they make the mistake of doing this, uh, trying to preach and suck the money off the old folk. And the old folk are a blessing, amen? But you know who's going to get the job done? These young people right here. These young people are going to get the job done, these young men. And they got the unction, and they got the wherewithal, they got the energy to go out there and serve the Lord and get the job done. And uh, But that, that's something you need to think about. Let's pin Timothy down here, Acts chapter 16. And uh, now if you ever get in a position where you teach and God opens up the door for you to teach, uh, you always need to build a foundation before you just jump in and go. And if you don't have a foundation laid, then you can't, uh, you can't build upon it. And what we're doing is we're going to build a foundation for you. We're going to put that foundation down so you can build upon it and then it'll make sense to you. And you can pull out and use it. And if you try to build about a foundation, well, that thing's a mess. I remember I had an ice cream route over there in uh, Lincoln, Lincoln and Harrisville area. And they went over there and built the, they got a big old medical place over there. With, uh, uh, what is it? Mid-Michigan or McLaren or whatever it is. Anyways, yeah, Mid-Michigan or something. And then, man, they put that thing up in record time. But there was something wrong with the foundation. I drove in there one day. The whole thing fell down. <laughs> you say, what was wrong? There's something wrong with the foundation. And if you don't have a foundation right, nothing sticks. It won't stand. And so this is your introduction, and it's the foundation of First and Second Timothy and Titus. And like we just said, Timothy, he's a well-known young man. He's a young preacher. He's a young pastor in the Bible. I look at Acts 16, 1 to 2. The Bible said, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra. That's Paul. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. So you got a mixed marriage there. And uh, his father was a Greek. Uh, verse 2, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So you notice, uh, again, Paul Timothy is a well-known man. And you'll notice his mother's a Jew. And also his dad's a Greek. And uh, take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm trying to pin Timothy down a little bit here. Give you some foundational material to help you understand. And I'm sure most of you know quite a bit about Timothy, but you'll be surprised there's a lot of information about Timothy here in the Bible. And uh, see, Timothy, uh, he's of a Jewish mom and a Greek father, 
And here's the thing. The thing about Timothy, when you see him with Paul there, he ends up getting circumcised. And uh, that's always uh, intrigued me, not the procedure there, not the, the function there. But why in the world would he get circumcised, right? Because you and I both know in the Old Testament that circumcision was a sign of who? It was a sign of the Jews. Uh, but in the New Testament, you don't have to be circumcised. Uh, and now it might be a healthy practice, and some people are for it, and some people against it, and I really don't care either way. You know what I'm saying? But in the Old Testament, that thing was for the Jews. In the New Testament, circumcision is its surgical procedure is all it is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mess with your salvation. If that was the case, you gals would be out. <laughs> right? Enough said. Okay? But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 20, and 20 to 22. Look at this. The Bible says, And unto the Jews, Paul says, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. He says, I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And uh, you say, what are you saying? Well, sometimes you just do things for testimony's sake. That's all it is reason Paul had Timothy get circumcised is because he's going to be ministering to Jews. That's a transitional period. It's all Jews over there. And he does it because he's dealing with the Jews. And there'll be someone there reminding Timothy that his mother was a Jew. doesn't matter that his daddy was a Greek. And uh, I don't know if you remember, look at Acts 18 real quick. Paul shaves his head. Paul's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, why don't Paul shave his head for you? You know, just sick and tired of combing his hair. No, it had nothing to do with it. But in Acts chapter 18, you want to notice over there in verse 18, 18, 18. That's interesting there. There are six sixes there. But at any rate, uh, Paul goes, and what he does, he goes in the synagogue, but before he does it, he shaves his head. You say, why? Because he was, uh, he was wanting to, to win some of them Jews to Jesus Christ, and he does that thing as a testimony uh, to let those Jews know that he knows, that they know that he's been hanging around a bunch of Gentiles. And see, the, those Jews were still under law. Did he have to shave his head? No. But he, to the weak, he became what? Weak. If he would have went in the synagogue at, that, different, at that, that, uh, that point in time without shaving his head, they wouldn't have listened to a word he said. But since he went in there and shaved his head, he didn't have to. It's not required for salvation. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Uh, but he's like, okay, guys, look, I know that you know that I've been hanging around a bunch of Gentiles and you've been trying to win them to Christ. So then he switches gears and goes and tries to win some Jews, but before he does, he goes in there and shaves his head. Ain't that something? You know what we as Bible believers do? Well, I have liberty in Christ. You know, I do whatever I want. And that's why we don't win people to Jesus Christ. Because we're not willing to be weak to those that are weak. We're willing to have the truth of the King James Bible. I'm, I'm saying it speculatively, so just stay with me now. If this doesn't apply to you, don't get your fender all bent up. But we're all willing to be strong. Yes, we have the King James Bible from cover to cover, including the cover. But then you got a Catholic friend and you want to rail on his fish? You're you going to have a Catholic friend to eat a steak in front of him on Friday? Better have the fish and chips. If you want to win him. Well, I have liberty. Shut up, man. It's not about you. Christian life is not about you. It's about others. It's about Jesus Christ. 
C.T. Studd said, soon on earth one life will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. You think when you get to the judgment seat of Christ and you stand before the Lord, he's going to be like, good job, they're eating that steak. And your Catholic buddy's burning in hell, but I'm sure glad you had liberty in Jesus Christ to eat a steak and you knew that it didn't affect your salvation. You see what I mean? So sometimes you just do things as a testimony. Uh, take your dress, for instance. You don't have to wear a certain thing. There's no dress code, but your dress is a testimony. You ever stop and check how you dress? You ever stop and say, Lord, what do you want me to wear? No, generally it's like, I can wear whatever I want, so fill in the blank on you. <laughs> right? My liberty. Your liberty is to serve the Lord and to serve others. You ever just stop? I'm not getting any pushback on dress. My goodness, I never preach on dress. You ever just stop and check it? You've got no balance on that stuff. But you do it for testimony's sake. I mean, think about it. Don't think too hard. You'll throw up. If you saw me up here in a little pair of skinny jeans, a little wife beater shirt there, a nice little chain. I mean, a nice one, right? Like the NBA guys wear? No, I mean, uh, the NBA, Major League Base. Man, some of the, I mean, it's like a chain like that big. I'm not, how the guy can even run to first base? The gold chains are so stinking thick. You saw me up here, like, you know, flexing the guns on occasion. You know, the wife beater shirt and pair of skinny jeans and, you know, what are, what are, what are them expensive shoes called? Anyways, you wouldn't respect me. Some of you would think, what a punk. I saw some of them dress in town. You say you think you're better. I didn't say that. I'm just saying you do it for testimony's sake. All right? <clears throat> you got a testimony to represent. It's not for your salvation. So now we know, of course, in 1 Timothy, Paul's a writer. Uh, he's a writer, and he did not hook up circumcision with salvation. Look at Galatians 6. I'm going to run you all the way around the Mulberry bus and give you some good material here. Galatians chapter 6, Paul's the writer. He doesn't hook up, he doesn't hook up circumcision with salvation. You and I should know that. We should both know it. Galatians 6.15, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So Paul knew, didn't he? He was real clear on it. Uh, Paul's position on circumcision was right. Uh, look at Galatians 5, one chapter back, verse 3. Circumcision has nothing to do with salvation. Paul had Timothy get circumcised so he'd be able to minister to the Jews and eventually become the pastor at the church in Ephesus, which was filled with a bunch of Jews. All right, Galatians 5.3, he says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that his, he's a debtor to do the whole law. And what he's saying there, look, if you're, if you're resting on your circumcision for salvation, man, you've got to do the whole thing. What does James say? He that keepeth the whole law yet offended one point, he guilty of all. <laughs> all right, so we're, we're uh, talking about the law. We're not talking about New Testament salvation. I look at Galatians 5.4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Now look, that's not talking about you. Look at that verse again. I want you to see it. I want you to understand it. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. That thing's talking about a Jew that comes and looks at Calvary. And then he says, you know what? No, I want to be justified by the law. He turns around and walks away. That's how you fall from grace. You never fall from grace after you get saved. You can't do it. You've heard that term thrown around out there. 
Well, you've fallen from grace. You can't fall from grace if you're saved. But you fall away from grace by trusting the law before you get saved. Fall away from it. All right, look at verse 5. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So Paul knew the position. There's no problem there. Now Timothy, or the name Timotheus, are both together. He's mentioned 24 times in the Bible. And here's something interesting. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. The last time Timothy's mentioned is found in the book of Hebrews. And turn there for a second. I'll tell you why this is important because we all know that Timothy is uh, what? He's Paul's sidekick. Every Batman has a Robin and every Paul should have a Timothy. <laughs> but uh, Timothy is Paul's sidekick. And you see him show up for the last time in Hebrews 13, 23. Look at this verse. Uh, to me, it establishes Paul as the author of Hebrews for one more kind of nail in the coffin. All these smarty pants Bible correcting scholars say that Paul didn't write it. I'll tell you, he did write it. Look at 23. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. <laughs> you know what Hebrews 13, 23 tells me? Tells me that he's set at liberty. He was in jail. Young Timothy was in jail for ministering for Jesus Christ. You know what? And not only is Paul in jail and had the guts to go to jail, uh, not only is Peter in jail, Peter has the guts and the ministry, he ends up going to jail. Not only is Silas in jail, right? He goes to jail, but Timothy goes to jail. And young Timothy was in jail for ministering for Jesus Christ, and, uh, but he gets out. It says he's set at liberty. So these uh, early preachers, man, they, uh, they went to jail and they suffered for it. But Timothy got out. And, uh, amen, don't we have something to look forward to, amen, for ministering for Jesus Christ? See, if you're not careful, you'll get this utopian philosophy and idea that because we're in America, things are going to get better. 2020 ought to have told you they're not getting better. And the way this world is going to look at you and treat you and the way things are going to fall out for your Christianity is not going to get better. I don't have any good news for you in that, but I tell you what, we have the Lord Jesus Christ who can take care of us all along the way. Never leave you, never forsake you, never fail you, never let you down. He always provides for you. He's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. All right, now look. We've got, a, got a, look, uh, a lot to look at here. So notice something else. Timothy was called the son of Paul. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Laying the foundation for you. It's my goal and desire to give you as much information about Timothy as I can before we jump into this book. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Timothy 1-2. Now the Bible says unto Timothy, Paul says, My own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look, you and I both know that Paul is not his real father. We just read the verse where he said his father was a Greek and Paul was a Jew, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. But you know what Paul was? Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. And, uh, man, right here is where the Catholics go crazy. They go absolutely nuts. They're thinking here that the bishop who's talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 3 now becomes the father of all the converts, which is uh, unscriptural. But uh, And so uh, what they do is they make a gross error of calling the priest the father. That's what the Catholic Church does. How many of you heard that? Father this and father that, and, which is a crock. 
Amen. And then they'll say this, the Catholic Church will say this, that uh, the mother of uh, the Christian is the church. Your mother ain't the church. <laughs> Sorry, your mother doesn't work here. Pick up after yourself. Amen. You know who your mother is? Take your Bible, go to Galatians 4. Catholic Church wrong on all accounts. Priest ain't your father and the church ain't your mother. What is that? That's old Catholic folklore. So what I do about that? Well, you just pitch it. You go the other way. You know why a Catholic believes all the things he believes? That a priest is to be called a father and the pope is to be called a pope and the church is the mother of everybody? It's just simply because they never got to read the riches of the Bible. That's it. They never got to read the riches of the Bible. So you got the perfect word of God right in your lap. Man, ain't that a blessing? You got the book and you know how to read. It's fourth grade English. That's because they never get to read the Bible. Look at 426, Galatians 426. You say, I wish you wouldn't take shots. I'm not taking shots. I'm telling you the truth. You, some of you are just uncomfortable because you, you just refuse to call the stuff out, but it's my job as a pastor to call it out to you. You got to disseminate the information and dial it down. When you get out there and begin to witness to uh, per se a Catholic, you don't attack them for what they believe. You show them what the scripture says because it opens your eyes. But if I don't bring it out to you the way it should be told, rough, rough and hot, you will think maybe it's not a big idea. It's a big deal. You realize that calling someone a father gets you thrown in hell if you don't trust Jesus Christ. Considering the church your mother puts you in hell if you trust the church. You know what you're going to get? You know, there's thousands of people in this, in this community alone that are disgusted because of a church. Disgusted. The church ain't your mother. The church house is a place where we meet and worship God. All right. Uh, Galatians 4.26, the Bible says, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Ain't that something? You know who your spiritual mother is? <laughs> it ain't the church. It's New Jerusalem. Ain't no Catholic church my mother. The Bible says New Jerusalem is. Sure ain't no priest my father. God Almighty is my father. Look at Matthew 23. Let's, let's correct it. Let's correct it with the Bible. Matthew 23. Nothing like a good pile of religion to send you straight to hell. Now, if you know your Bible, the, the devil is going to have a real hard time deceiving you. But if you don't know that book, you're, you're as good as deceived as Eve was in the garden. All right, Matthew 23, 9. Look what the Bible says. Perfectly clear. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. So you're not supposed to call him your father. The whole context of that passage is religious leaders. You're looking at it, right? A man might be a pastor by position. He might be a preacher. He might be a teacher. But you don't call him father. The scriptures are real clear on that thing. I look at verse 8. Back up a verse. But be ye not called rabbi. For one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters. For one is your master, even Christ. Ain't that something? In verse 8, you have every Orthodox Jew openly violate the scriptures by calling their leaders rabbi. You ever notice that? 
the Lord says, don't call him rabbi. What does the Orthodox Jew does? Call him rabbi. All Catholics alive openly violate the scriptures by calling their leaders father, from priest to pope. And when you get to the pope, they call him holy father. Yeah. Open violation of scripture, chapter 9 and verse 10. How about this? There's your secret societies. There's all your Eastern religions. All that stuff. Openly violate scripture. You're not supposed to call somebody master. You see that? See how quickly a King James Bible clear up an education? Just like that. I didn't have to know much. I just read fourth grade English. And fourth grade English, amen, it'll keep you out of hell. It'll keep you out of the Catholic Church, too. It'll keep you out of the Orthodox Church, and it'll keep you all out of the Eastern religions. You say, well, preacher, what if, uh, what if you had to address the uh, Catholic priest downtown? How would you address him? Well, I call him Mr. <laughs> hey, Mr. <laughs> sure wouldn't call him Father. Why? He's not my father. I ain't going to do it. You couldn't pay me to do it. Amen? And I ain't going to do it. You ever stop and think by calling that bird Father, you know what you're doing? You're taking away the title of God. Why'd you ascribe the title of God to some lost bird? I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it if they tore out my fingernails. Might call them a few other names, but Father ain't one of them, amen. Look at Malachi 3. This will tie, tie the rag on the bush for you if you believe the Bible. Malachi 3. You say, you're, uh, you're wound up. No, I believe the Bible. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to teach the Bible. Why? I want you to believe the Bible. If I got up here and said, well, I tell you what, uh, you know, you probably just ought to do this, and, and you might consider that, and, and think about that. No, this is what the book says. Like it, lump it, or dump it. Amen? Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. Bible says, Malachi. Is that what I said? I'm sorry. Malachi 1.6. Part-timer moment. Some-timer. <laughs> Some people say they got all-timer. I got some-timers. <clears throat> Malachi 1.6, the Bible said, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. Watch now. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? Now if I be a master, where is my fear? saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, you see that? That despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? You know how they despise God's name? By taking his title. Man, that thing's clear as the day is long. All right? They take God's title and that's how they despise it. He's not a father. God is your heavenly father. All right, now once again, Timothy's mentioned 24 times in the New Testament. And the relationship between Paul and Timothy is, uh, it's not a father and a son. It's not the doctrine of the Nicolaitans you find over there in Revelation 2, 6. That doctrine of the Nicolaitans is just the laity over the people and all that jazz. We'll catch that later. That's not that at all. But uh, look, turn forward to 1 Corinthians 4, 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That relationship between Paul and Timothy is a relation between a convert and a soul winner. That's the relation. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you ever won someone to Jesus Christ, in essence, you become their spiritual father. And I'll give you even one better than that. The Holy Ghost to God gives you partial credit for the new birth. 
because you win a soul. 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, a lot of teachers, right? A lot of teachers these days. You sat under a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers before. Yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So the begetting is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? Now that's not a Calvinistic term. That doesn't mean you were begotten uh, before the beginning. What that means is Paul, through the gospel, reached out and grabbed somebody, and they became his son because they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed what he was saying about God's son. And uh, by that, you become the guy's spiritual father, and the Holy Ghost of God gives you partial credit. All right? So everyone in here has a spiritual father, whether it was a man or a woman that led you to Christ. I know that's weird. Just relax. Because when you stop, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to open up a can of worms. But whether you're a man or a woman, you led someone to Christ to become their spiritual father. Isn't that a blessing? All right, so now the question is this. Have you led someone to Christ since someone led you to Christ? You see that? Have you led anyone to Jesus Christ since you've been led to Christ? Well, here's the thing. If you lead someone to Christ and you can get that individual to just lead one person to Jesus Christ without getting crazy, you have spiritual grandchildren. Isn't that wild? That's a blessing. I was able to help lead one fellow to the Lord and it took him over nine years to lead someone to Christ. He said, what took him so long? I'm just glad he did. I didn't care how long it took him. <laughs> My Christians think the whole Christian life is about reproduction, reproduction, reproduction. No, that's only in your 20s and 30s. That's not the Christian life. A lot of the Christian life is just getting up and going to work, isn't it? Isn't it weird? Isn't that an unbalanced deal? Some, some, some preachers are like, if you ain't winning souls, you ain't right with Jesus. Well, let me tell you what, there's fellowship too. Once you get saved, hey, uh, spoiler, if you're looking at marriage, it's not all intimacy. <laughs> Sometimes it's just sitting down and having a conversation. Amen. Now, you all adults, for the most part, you can understand that, right? Christian life is not all about intimacy and reproduction. But when the Lord allows you to lead someone to Jesus Christ, right, what happens? You become a spiritual father. If they have spiritual children, you're a spiritual grandkid. That's a blessing, isn't it? Amen. And if you haven't led someone to Christ, let me put it on you. It's about time, ain't it? It's about time you at least tried. You're never going to catch any fish unless you put, you get that favorite fishing spot and go. Mom, boys out there and, they wanted to hunt, and I'm glad they did. I didn't make them hunt. <laughs> so they started hunting, man. They see nothing, see nothing. All of a sudden, man, they started banging them left and right. <laughs> right? Why? You spend some time out there. We talked to one fellow. He's, he, he counted the hours before he got a deer. It was a 46-hour, I can't remember, a 46-hour, and he had the minute down. And, he, and he, Whenever he shoots a deer, he puts a, like a little thing on the ground where he shot it, plaque. Here it says spike horn, you know, and it's got the date and who shot it, you know what I mean? Uh, people are funny that way, kind of neat, right? But it took him 40-some hours before he saw the, 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 the deer he wanted, he shot it. Well, can you count the hours? Let me ask you this question. If you haven't won someone to Jesus Christ, you have someone in your sights? You know, I know that fellow was doing, you know, you know what we had to do, the boys had to do uh, before they shot their deer? <laughs> they had to sight in the rifle. <laughs> I'm not hitting anything, Dad. Well, put up a target, right? 
So he means sighting in the rifle. Okay, I better figure out what verse I'm going to use on this bird. <laughs> you know, get him in your sights, you know. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. <laughs> you know, you got to figure out how you're going to lead him to Christ. Probably ought to know, right? Get some ammunition. Get some tracks. Get a good chick track or something. This was your life. I mean, you can't, you know, when that deer comes uh, up to where, where in front of your path, you can't, you know, stick your head up. Oh, you're going to burn in hell if you don't trust Christ. You got to be quiet. You got to listen. You can't walk through the woods like a moron. You know, the old man taught me that. You got to walk carefully and quietly. I'm just saying you got to have someone in your sights. Amen. Ain't that something? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. A lot of applications there. Now, look, y'all are good at it. You win a lot of people to Christ in this church. I don't want you to get discouraged because they don't all show. Okay, a lot of people God's going to put in your path and your path alone and you're the only one that's got an opportunity to give them Jesus Christ so you give them Jesus Christ when they get saved you may never see them in church never what does that mean? nothing, you did your job and you'll get rewarded just the same as if someone got in church and joined the church and now they're doing the windows every fourth month or so. you see what I mean? it's not about whether or not you got a pin to pin on your chest for it it's whether or not they got saved and uh, so Paul reached out through the gospel and grabbed somebody. And now look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. The Bible says, But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things. You see that? One God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. I know who my Father is. It's God. And ain't no fellow with a backwards collar on. Amen? Amen. But spiritually speaking and practically speaking, you know who my spiritual father is? <laughs> right there. Led me to Christ when I was eight. That's, that's weird, ain't it? But that's how the Lord works. Now, something else about Timothy. Uh, look at Timothy's mother. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is really good. Her name's Eunice. You don't hear too many women named Eunice anymore, do you? Here are a few Loises in the last two generations back. I know two Loises. Uh, one used to go to this church, and one, uh, well, uh, another one went to uh, Victory there for a little bit. But that's the old generation, isn't it? Yeah. Now, Second uh, Timothy chapter one, look at verse five. Her name is Eunice. Paul says in Second Timothy one five, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So Timothy's mother's name's Eunice, his grandmother's name is Lois, and you'll notice they had unfeigned faith, all right? And the faith that they had, it came out in their children. You see that? I want you to look at that. Somebody said, well, I'm just glad my kids are saved. Well, me too. <laughs> Amen. If you have kids, you'll be thankful when they get saved, no matter how they turn out. Right, but can I say this? Your kids spiritually can often, can often, not always, but can often be a representative of what you really are. Uh, look, your kids have a one hundred percent free will, right? Mine do. Got a hundred percent free will. They can do whatever the fire they want. All right, and uh, you can't make your kids do right once they become an adult. No more than God can make you do right any day of the week. But your kids are often a representation of what you are in faith, in practice, in prayer, 
in a lot of areas. A lot of people don't think things like that, but that's the Word of God, no doubt about it. Well, uh, in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Timothy's called the disciple, so uh, back to some stuff about Timothy. It tells me that uh, Timothy was led to Christ before Acts chapter 16, uh, probably about Acts chapter 14 while Paul was going through Lystra there. I'm just going to take a stab at it there. Um, but uh, let's look at Timothy's mother again real quick, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, Timothy's mother had something. Amen? And you used to hear a lot of songs about mama. Amen? Uh, mama prayed for me, and mama did this for me, and mama took me to church, and uh, uh, mama's bedside prayers, so forth and so on. But uh, Timothy's mother had something, and what she had, she gave to her son. She gave to her son. And if you're a mother, give what you got to your son. And Timothy's mom, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, uh, took the pains and trouble and the time to teach Timothy what? The scriptures. Both of them. And uh, you know what it takes to teach kids the Bible? Besides a switch <laughs> or a paddle? or Yeah, it takes patience, takes courage, and it takes determination. Determination. You're not getting into any easier generations now. It's going to take a brow of brass, amen, and a backbone of iron. But look what it did. Look what the work of two women. It doesn't give the fathers credit for nothing. It gives the credit to mom and grandma. And isn't that, isn't that common in today's world? It's mom and grandma that give a rip about the kids. Why? Because the attacks on the men. All right, now look at 2 Timothy 3.15, and that from a child. Talking to Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now here, you got to realize we're talking 62 to 65 A.D., right? The whole New Testament has not been written. So what they're talking about when they say holy scriptures could mean the parts written as in Genesis to Malachi. Or it could mean just a few parts in the New Testament that was just newly written, I'm guessing, and maybe in circulation, but I doubt it. But we know this. We know this, that Timothy did not have what the scholars are called so-called originals. You know, you know what Timothy's mom and grandma had? They had a copy. They had a copy, and Paul calls it Scripture. You know what you got in your lap? You got a copy. <laughs> Isn't that a blessing? You got a copy of the Scriptures. Uh, none of this original baloney. You even stop and think about uh, what you've already learned and probably what you already knew. You've got uh, Eunice, and she married a what? A Greek. You got a pure-blooded Jew that married a Greek. That was a no-no in those days. I mean, that was excommunicado. <laughs> uh, you know, you really think they would have gave her a copy of the scriptures, the pure Masoretic text? Not in your life. They wouldn't have given her spit. They wouldn't even have looked at her or talked to her. Why? That's the way that race was. She had a copy. And what you have in your lap is a copy, and they're both Scripture. All right, now uh, that's good stuff, and I want you to have that. You hang on to it, put it in your hat for a rainy day. Uh, back to Timothy here. He went, uh, he went on a trip to Paul to Macedonia. Uh, but when Paul went down to Athens, uh, Timothy and Silas, they didn't go. They stayed put. And uh, they stayed in Berea. That's, uh, that's over in Acts 17. 
And so uh, at Timothy ends up over in Acts chapter 19 ministering to Paul in Ephesus. And why this is important, because Paul stays in Ephesus a long time. And there's Timothy right there by his side ministering to him. And that would be about Acts chapter 19. Now do this. Take your Bible, go to Colossians chapter 1. I'll show you this. Colossians chapter 1. I want you to show Timothy is always by Paul's side. He's always by the old preacher's side. You know what Timothy is? He's loyal. You know what this generation of Christianity needs? Loyal preachers. Loyal preachers willing to stick by the old preacher. Uh, the Christian has enough stinking mavericks to fill a garbage can a hundred times over. All these young preachers, I, a lot of young preachers I know, they don't, they don't have a mentor. They don't have an old preacher. They don't have a Paul. You say, what are they worth? Nothing. If you're a young preacher, you need an old preacher. Amen? You need an old preacher that's sticking by the stuff that God's using, and God can give you direction through that old preacher. And if you don't have an old preacher to, to see where God's taken that old preacher, you won't last. And if you do, you'll go get stuck in a rut somewhere, and God won't use you like you should be used. Colossians 1.1. 1, 1. And that's the problem with our generation of Christianity. Bible-even preachers, they don't have a Paul. There's just a bunch of Demases. They're running their own course. All right, Colossians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. So... Timothy's with Paul when Paul's in jail. That's a prison epistle. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And there he is, Timotheus, right by his side. Paul's in jail writing the thing, and Timothy's ministering to him. And he's sticking through him with thick or thin. You know, listen, uh, you, some of you have gone through times where they weren't very pleasant around here, and you stuck it out. God bless you for it. Just stick with the old preacher. Amen. God doing something. Uh, look at Philippians 1.1, 1, 1. I'll show you the same thing. These are prison epistles. Prison epistles, where you see Paul, there's Timothy right by his side. He might not have been in jail, but he was a holler away for a cold rag, a hot rag, a piece of bread, parchments, whatever it was he's writing with. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1. there he is, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Man, what a title. You see that title? How'd you like to have that said about you stand for the judgment seat of Christ? These are my servants right here. You know what Timothy was doing? Just ministering to the old preacher. You get over there. Remember when Elijah, uh, uh, he, uh, he runs and hides and the Lord uh, recommissions him and gets him going again? He says, go, uh, go anoint Elisha to be uh, a prophet. Anoint it in thy room, the Bible says. Well, it's another 10 years before that happens. He goes back, throws that mantle on Elisha, and then Elisha's like, hold on, hold the fort here for I'm coming, you know. Let me uh, boil the oxen and kill them, and we're going to have a big dinner. And Elijah's like, what do I got to do with you? It's your business. I ain't telling you what to do. That's the right answer. No preacher should be telling any preacher, uh, you know, you're called to the ministry. That was Elisha's choice. And he said, hold the phone. I'll be right back after we have a good meal. That's a good Baptist, Amen. Baptists like to eat, think about it, and then go do the will of God. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> so what happens is he boils it, you know, has the big meat in there, the fellowship dinner, you know, dinner on the grounds and all that, and then he forsakes his family. And he goes, and what does he do? I have no idea, but you go, was it Second Kings chapter 3 or something like that? And Jehoshaphat's looking for a prophet. 
and the servant standing by Jehoshaphat says something like this, I don't know, but uh, here, here's Elisha. And well, what does Elisha do? He pours, hand, he pours water over the hands of the prophet. That's all. Can you imagine that being your job for 10 years? What's your job? I'm pouring water on your hands. What a ministry. I mean, the power of God was on Elijah like a stinking fan. I mean, when Elijah spoke, things happened. Elijah up on Mount Carmel uh, turned uh, uh, 450 prophets into a nonprofit organization, amen, called down fire from heaven, made everyone tremble, made uh, Ahab shake in his boots, and here's Elisha doing what? Uh, pouring water on his hands. Sign me up. Can you imagine being the second fiddle and seeing all that stuff happen and have no responsibility? That'd be a blast. But you know what happens with young men? They get so excited. They get so wound up. They got to do something. They're not willing to wait 10 years. You know, 10 years is a good waiting period. God might give you something to do, but you're going to have to sit around and wait probably. And you can serve the Lord here and now, but if the Lord's going to give you something, it's going to take some time to develop you. Amen. Old preacher said it takes 20 years to make the man, another 20 years to make the message. Amen. And Timothy, uh, he's at Paul's side, and we just looked at Hebrews 13, 23, and Timothy himself was in prison, and he was suffering for the ministry. And these pastoral epistles that Paul's writing Timothy, he writes first and second Timothy and Titus, but what you find out is Timothy's a pastor over the local church in Ephesus. Look at 1 Timothy 1, 3. 1 Timothy 1.3, you see this thing. Get set up in verse 3. He says, I, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus uh, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, Paul stayed at Ephesus a long time, but when he had to leave, he left Timothy there, and Timothy ends up becoming the preacher of the pastor there at the you know Bible Baptist Church of Ephesus there. <laughs> and... Uh, now, when you study a, a book of the Bible, you ought to know something about the man, shouldn't you? You should. It help you. It help you understand it better. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. I want to give you some characteristics of the man Timothy. You ought to know. You ought to know his character traits. You ought to learn about the man that Paul's writing to, and uh, you should know a little bit about his character. Let me give you the first one. Uh, Timothy was devout from his childhood. He was devout from his childhood. That's Second Timothy three fifteen. Uh, devout from his childhood. He had something put in him. I thank the Lord I can stand up here, and I'm not bragging by any means, but I'm thankful I had something put in me as a child. 2 Timothy 3.15. As I'm learning more and more each day, there's a lot of kids out there that don't have what you have. There's a lot of kids out there that have just an absolute rotten upbringing, just a bad situation. And if you have parents that put anything into you, man, you ought to thank them. Whether you, I don't care whether you get along with them or agree with them. You ought to say, thanks for putting it into me. Amen? They didn't do it all right, and guess what? You won't either. But you ought to thank them for what they put into you. They put in blood, sweat, and tears, and money, and patience, and all the rest. Second uh, Timothy 3.15, the Bible says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let me give you another one. Number two, Timothy was faithful in service. Faithful in service. Characteristics about the man Timothy. Faithful in service. That's a blessing. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verse 22. Timothy was faithful in service. 
Bible says, but you know the proof of him, that's Philippians 2. Paul's talking about Timothy, that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. You know what Paul does? He puts some credibility on that young man that's been serving at his side for 10 years. He says, he served with me in the gospel. You know what the body of Christ is hurting for? Faithful men. It's hurting. Body of Christ hurting for faithful men. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim every man his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. A faithful man who can find. Christians often think that the Christian life is a giant resume where you get to spend all day bragging on your achievements. That's not the Christian life. Don't you get a little uncomfortable when you make a resume? Don't you just feel a bit conceited? I do. I hate resumes. Uh, when I came to, to pastor here, uh, the crowd that uh, wanted to uh, look at my achievements, they said, we want your resume. I said, I'm not for hire, <laughs> but I'll give you what I've done. <laughs> and uh, put that thing up there and so forth and so on. I told them I'm not for hire. Amen. But Christians often think that uh, Christian life's a big giant resume, bragging on your achievements. Can I say this? I think you know this. I'm not taking a cheap shot. But bragging on your achievements ain't going to get nothing done for Jesus Christ. Nothing. I've been in churches where everyone's just caught up with what they're doing, what they think they've done, whether or not their name's on a, a timber or their name's on a plaque or their name's here or there. There used to be plaques hanging up in the back. I was embarrassed. I'd say, what'd you do? <laughs> when no one was looking, I took them down. <laughs> Why? What well, is a place where we lift up Jesus Christ, not you and me? You want to lift up yourself? Go do something in the community, man. The bragging on your achievements ain't going to get nothing done for Jesus Christ. And Timothy was faithful. We need faithful men and faithful women to do the work of God and get out of their comfort zone. Amen. That's the hardest thing in the world to do. My hand's in the air. Everyone's got a comfort zone. Every once in a while, the Lord bumps you. He nudges you. And you're like, <laughs> what am I going to do? And the Lord's like, hey, chill out, man. I got you. I just want to see if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone. You want people to get out of their comfort zone, put the armor of God on. And the area today, here's the thing. Here's why I can't get on you too much. The area that's hurting the most in the body of Christ is the pulpit because the pulpit is what transcends to the pew and the pew will never rise above the pulpit. So if you want to know why Christianity is a mess, it's because the preachers are a mess. And preachers, uh, they're not faithful anymore. But Timothy, boy, he was faithful in service. He was need some more Timothys. I'll give you one more call in a night. Old Timothy, he was loved by Paul. He was loved by Paul. You know, Paul was a rude guy, if you read the scriptures, wasn't he? He was rude. He's pretty acerbic. Vitriolic. You like them synonyms? I learned them today. Just kidding. Anyways, in English. <clears throat> but uh, Paul was loved by Tim uh, Paul loved Timothy. That's 1 Timothy one, two. But I'm telling you what, if Paul loved you, there's something about it. Paul was, uh, had extremely high credentials, higher than normal. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And I tell you what, there's something about that man that took time. Put it to Timothy. 
and he loved him. You can tell if a man loves you, he'll put something in you. That's 2 Timothy, by the way. I wrote up there wrong. Bible says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's just a couple things. We'll hit more later. But he was devout from his childhood. Not only his, his mother put something in, his grandma put something into him. Grandparents, man, y'all important. Extremely important. If you're a grandparent and you don't make an attempt to be in your child's life, man, shame on you. Shame on you. Double shame. Uh, he was devout from his childhood. He had input from both his mother and his grandmother. He was faithful in service. And whatever was put into him came out in how he lived. And he was faithful in service. And say so he was perfect. I imagine a young, you know, boy like Timothy just probably. Made a mess everywhere he went for a while, amen? But he had a good upbringing. He was faithful in service. He just always came, always came. Doors are open. He was there. Finally had an opportunity to help Paul out, and he was right there, right by Paul's side. Paul's in jail. I'm with you, preacher. Well, it don't look for good for you, Timothy. Well, it never did look good in the first place. But he's right there with the old preacher, and he was loved by that old preacher, Paul. All right. Not done with the intro, but we'll stop there because y'all need to go home and get some rest. <laughs>